one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. For me right now, I'm so deep in my investigation of season three, Finding Heidi, that nothing else even exists. It is my life. I'm literally living and breathing this case from the early hours of every morning until the late hours of every night. I'll never give up on this case until Heidi's found. But this season is drawing to a close. And this will mean a short break for me so that I don't implode. And then it will be on to a brand new case for season four. I can never promise to be able to deliver a season like what you're about to hear in these final episodes. But I do know that every case and investigation is unique and important to those involved. I truly love meeting all the people involved in every case and experiencing their hometowns and life for a while. And that's why I'm very excited to announce that season four of Guilt is about to go international. When I cross the ditch and investigate a brand new case in Australia. We may be at odds when it comes to netball, cricket and rugby. But we all know that our two nations are great friends. And you're huge supporters of this podcast. So I look forward to showing my appreciation to all my Australian listeners. At this stage, I haven't decided on a case... So Australians, I'd like to invite you to send your suggestions to brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com. Please put Season 4 Suggestion in the subject line. Cases should ideally be cold, say 10 years or older. I'm a fan of small towns and exotic locations. And I'll be picking up my family and moving to Australia for the duration of the season. So if you're local police with an old case that could use some fresh exposure... Or perhaps you have a personal connection to a tragedy that never got explained. Let me know. Thanks so much, and I look forward to seeing you all over there very soon. On the last episode of Guilt. They were so jumpy, but they were getting a bit of food. Um, And then... and, And anyway, so... We served them and they left. And when they left, I just turned around to my the lady that was working with them. I said, oh, Jesus Christ, I thought, they look like they've just murdered somebody. I just came back from Oz. Then I took them up to the pub in Pongata pub and shouted them lunch. And this Maori guy come in with this bloody beautiful blonde chula. And I thought, oh, lucky bugger. And then 
They took one look at me and Stephen, we were the only guys in the pub. Then he did a U-bolt and went. And looking at her, it looked like she'd been crying, she had puffy eyes. And he would just search for years, walking all the tracks, going off the tracks. It, it just, um, it could just consume them. I was the last one that probably ever saw them alive, and I, I've never told anybody. They've obviously been digging, and I've just pulled a bone out. There's a piece of bone right here. From Brevity Studios, I'm Ryan Wolf, and this is Guilt. In the last episode, we heard from Rodney Topaki and about his sighting of who he believes was Heidi Parkinen with a Māori man that fit the description of a bearded David Tamahiri, walking into the old Whangamata pub, then quickly turning and leaving. He said that it struck him as strange at the time, and that she had puffy eyes, like she'd been crying. For this sighting to be correct, it would mean that at this time, Heidi had been taken against her will by this man. But why enter the pub? Rodney said it was as if he was looking for someone who wasn't there, so he quickly left. I don't want to speculate too much here, but if this man had taken her against her will, and he was in a rush looking for someone, then unless she was bound in the car while he ran inside to check, he'd surely have to take her with him, or of course she could flee. Or is this sighting unrelated? Simply a case of false identification. Rodney said he can't be sure about the man, but is almost 100% that it was Heidi. And he's believed this since he first reported it to his mother 34 years earlier. He is also positive they left in a Subaru station wagon, although admits he may have told police the wrong colour initially. Like I said in the last episode, Heidi stood out. It was the apparent mismatch in the pair that Rodney saw that drew his attention. I told you in the last episode that there were more very similar sightings in the Whangamata area. The next person, who wanted to remain anonymous, sat on what she saw for 20 years before she eventually went to police. I was going down the beach with a friend of mine who's now dead. And I looked up and I thought, oh, that's a lady I saw. I saw her hitchhiking with her husband, um, possibly before they got that car. Me and my ex saw them at the bomb base. That's why I recognised them. And um, I remember her standing on the dunes with that um, guy, David. And they were side by side, really close, just standing there looking out. And I don't know if it was at a time, it definitely wasn't her husband because I remember her husband because of their hair, you know. Um, 
and you know I felt sick to this day. But I did go to the police 20 years later and I kind of felt fobbed off by them. Um, sadly, sadly, 100% it was her. So when you say sort of the dunes, are you talking like they're looking out towards the ocean or were they looking at you at the time? Um, I was on the beach. I was I was running. I was running on the beach. Oh, and, right, you um, going for a run, uh, yeah. Yes, I looked up and, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's horrible because... I couldn't have saved her, but you know what? For 20 years, I thought about her thinking, oh, man, <laughs> could I? But, it, you know, of course I could have, you know. But I don't but mean... She was, it's, it's not... she was definitely with him. Mm. So, and what was sort of... Um, did they, you know, did you see sort of their demeanour? I know it's so long ago, but did it stick with you, sort of their demeanour? Was he sort of, like, grasping her or something, or...? Um, yeah, yeah, they were shoulder to shoulder, Shoulder to shoulder. Like as if yeah. he's keeping her under control kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I saw them, um, and this is what I can't remember, whether it was, did I see her and think, oh, that's a girl I saw hitchhiking with her husband, or was it the girl on the news? I can't remember because it was so quick after that uh, me and my ex saw her and a man um, hitchhiking at the Bombay's. Um, it was so soon after that it became news, and I can't remember the time frame, but it must have been pretty blooming close. Yeah. And you know that has sat with me for years because that poor girl would have seen me run down the beach with my friend, just freaking out. Yeah. Terrible, terrible situation. I feel sick even talking about it. Yeah, I Quite. suppose. I suppose you wouldn't know. The date. I mean, silly to ask now, but you wouldn't have had made a note of the date or anything at the time. No, no. Yeah. That okay. tormented me. It's it's always tormented me. Um, I did get a little bit at peace when I did go to the police, um, yeah. and you know, and I said to them, "You need to do a search." Twelve kilometres north of Fongamata, you'll find a Pottery Beach, and at the northern end is the area known as Ohui. It's a beautiful place. But compared to Whangamata, has a much more remote feel. The waterfront isn't lined with houses. In fact, in an aerial photo from 1994, five years after Heidi and Urban's murders, apart from a few old houses and shacks placed further back, not a single home looks directly onto the beach. Just trees and sand dunes. There was a, it was a house, an old house, and a very old, and they had, I think from memory, because I only went there a couple of times, um, just, you know, there were like little shacks, cabins, a couple of little cabins on it from recollection. It, it's so long ago, honestly. Yeah. And um, I think from stress, I kind of tried to block it out because I felt terrible, you know. So have you held on to that this whole time? Oh, Absolutely. I feel quite distressed even talking to you about it because um, I can only imagine her fear when she saw me and my friend running down the beach. Wow. Do you think it's you know? that, that woman's instinct that you might have sensed that something wasn't quite right? Oh, I just... Um, or did you not think about it till later? I recognised it was her, but it wasn't her man that she was with. And then I saw it on the, the news about David Tamahiri and I thought, 
that was the man that was with her that I saw on the beach. I recognised him. Mm. Did he have any distinctive features about his face that you remember that you noticed? Oh no, just no, I didn't. You know, and there was a bit of distance between us. And you know, I think you know what I mean? How can someone be I think during the time because I was so tormented by it, I kind of tried to block it out and tell myself Oh no, I was only 99.9% sure, you know, all these scenarios. Yeah. But, you know, when I stop and think about it, I, I know what I saw. I think I was just, I, yeah, it was too late when I realised what had happened, you know. I mean, I didn't look up there and I, I think it must have been just before the news, the headline. Yeah. But definitely was not her man. I know that. Yeah, I don't know if. Um, so the police would have to get though I always did wonder I thought did they listen to me and did they go out there and do a search and I was horrified because I you'd think in a small town yeah. you'd hear if they did do a search and I never heard anything I was horrified it was, it was definitely 100% 100% no doubt in my mind yeah, yeah. So I, I've always believed I mean she, sadly she could be in the ocean you know, sadly, but she may not be. I don't know. I really mm. don't know. I mean, it's such a vast area, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I still think there should be a search. Mm. Without a doubt. All you know, along that whole stretch, I really do. That's one of my favourite spots. Um, yeah, sadly, with those memories. And do you know what? It affected me so much because I was an avid runner, I never ran that beach again by myself ever again because I was so rattled by it. I always made sure I had um, my neighbouring friend with me. Mm. Far out. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. um, I I can't even walk through the bush on my own. And, And, you know, I was, you know, like I'm in my 60s now. Um, that's a long time ago, but I still won't walk through that bush by myself because of that. Yeah. 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 Shame. It's, it's, it's so incredibly sad. Um, Oh, totally. Every time I think about it, I feel the same pain I felt, um, when I saw the news and I didn't say nothing. Part of what makes this podcast unique is that I take you on the investigative journey with me. While I certainly don't include everything, you'll always hear things I feel could be relevant. At a distance of 20 to 30 metres while running past on the beach, this witness's sighting is much like the others. Fleeting. But again, it stood out. This time, more so because the witness felt she recognised the woman as someone she'd seen hitchhiking on a major road south of Auckland. But this time, she wasn't with her partner. She was now with a man she describes as David Tamahedi. I'll admit that at that distance, a positive ID on Tamahedi or Heidi is risky. But it can't be denied that what this witness describes seeing is eerily similar what Rodney said he saw in the pub 
only 12 kilometers away. She went on to tell me that he pulled her close and the pair stood statue still as they watched the witness and her friend run past. This witness won't be the only one you hear from a Pottery Beach and is not one of the key witnesses in my investigation. But due to its similarity and proximity to Rodney's sighting, I felt it needed to be included. Could it have simply been a couple standing in the dunes? Maybe. But what the witness saw was enough to stop her ever running on that beach alone again. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's 12. That sounds okay. Right, I've just mic'd myself up. big part of this job is filtering, or at least trying to filter. What's important and needs to have precious time allocated to it, and what isn't. Most sightings or hearsay evidence I can rule out within only a few seconds. At this time, I really don't believe there's anyone that knows every angle to this case as well as me. But there has been one inquiry that as crazy as it may seem, I just haven't been able to put down. But it's proved as frustrating as it is tantalizing. Today, I've just pulled over on the side of a Coromandel Road, near Fongamata and Parakawai, to begin a difficult search for an item that could hold huge evidentiary and emotional importance to this case. So, when I started this investigation, there was someone, one of the first people that contacted me, and he, he told me of being in the bush and coming across an old tramping pack, something he said was very old. And the weird thing about it was that strewn around the tramping pack 
were cassette tapes and you know obviously cassette tapes haven't been used for a long time but the location of this was well I'm not going to say the exact location but let's say it's in the Prakawai area and he told me that it looked very old the pack was deteriorating and he said that it was a green pack now initially my thought was okay this is not likely to be connected to to this case but the cassette tapes did interest me and I think we all know that Heidi loved music she often wrote about music in her letters home and when they were traveling around New Zealand clearly they would have been listening to cassette tapes so it wouldn't be a stretch to say that Heidi and her band likely were carrying cassette tapes with them and it was something in particular about these cassette tapes that this person told me and that was that he said he couldn't tell if it was because of the age and the writing had faded or not but he said it looked as though the writing was some kind of foreign language perhaps Scandinavian early in my investigation actually I think it was my very first phone interview I was contacted by a local man Ben Pointer who told me he had made an interesting discovery while exploring the Coromandel bush near Fongamata. G'day. Hey, Ben, mate. Yeah. How's it? Yeah, good, good. Sorry, um, yeah. for the quick call. Obviously, I'm keen, <laughs> I'm, I'm keen to hear to hear yeah. this. Um, yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Tell me all about it. What you're doing out there and and what you found. Um, so basically I was just, you know, out there bush bashing. I'm actually like looking for petroglyphs and different sort of stuff within like cave systems and whatnot. Yeah. And, um, I came across like, I first came across some like cassette tapes and I was like, oh, it's a bit fuzzy. So like, you know, opened them up and, and had a look around and then I noticed that I filled with mud and then I turned around and I saw that there was like a tramping pack and it was like underneath all this brush and all this old sort of I don't know, leafy matter sort of crap. And then, I don't know, I took more time and I went through the, uh, what is it, the cassette tape. And then that's when I realized that there was like, I mean, it could have been English and, and it, it's been like worn away over the period of time, but it, it kind of stood out as like a foreign language. And I just sort of, I was like, ah, oh. you know, it's, it's in the area where Urban Hoglin or whatever his name was, was found. And we had always talked about it as kids that like there was a murderer in, in Piratala because that's where, you know, I, I sort of live. And um, I think David Tamahiri or whatever, one of the convicted murderers has like a, his family's got property there. He does at the Matara block. Yeah. So like, it's always been like on, you know, everyone's sort of radar. And yeah, when I, I went home that night and had a look online and there's these photos of them both. And they got the tramping packs. Mm. And so the tramping pack that I found was, it was green, just like his. And there was like a gray sort of the bottom of his bag. He's got like this, like a, like a sleeping bag or I'm not really too sure what it was, but the same sort of identical stuff jesus um yeah and it's 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 as if they're headed towards falamatar and someone's buffed it off down the cliffside and it's just all the contents from the top area scattered out around and then yeah so yeah so tell me about the spot you found it um are you are you fully like right off the track 
Uh, I mean, it, it, it's off of what SH twenty five. So yeah, it's not like people walking wouldn't find it. You know, like it, it's it's in the middle of the bush, but it's close enough to a road where it's like it's really hard to describe. Like runoff, if you know what I mean. Like there's, it's like a cliff, but it's not. There's a lot of brush and bush, so, and I can tell it's been there for a bloody long time. You know, like it, 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 like it's starting to deteriorate. Yeah, yeah. And then I had a person be like, "Oh no, nah, it's not possible. People go through and they they clean up that area, whatnot." So I went back and I had found like a we look around and I found an old Schweppes can that hasn't been produced. Like the old style, it looks like a um, yeah, what is it like a, a bean can or something yeah. with the weird triangle top top bit. And so I took a photo of that and I was like, here's proof that no one's been through there in at least 30, 40 years. It would be like they've returned back to Furutawa. They've then gone back. Maybe, who knows, which, they're going in the direction of Parakiwai or Whangamataa mm. in that, you know, general vicinity. And like, it's just been chucked out of the, it's obviously a fast moving car. It's the way oh, that. Oh, so right. Mem- so, so you're saying, so this is off the side of the road, not actually really in the bush. It is in the bush, but it's like, because obviously it's been 20, 30 years, so the water must have moved it down or the water's probably had some impact on it. But it's hard for me to describe really this, just cassette tapes scattered everywhere. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't know whether that's from his bag or like whether it's even connected, but it was more just that, that there so, was non-English writing on it. You know what I mean? So, so, and cassette um, tapes are bloody old. So, would so. you um would you be able to send through those photos for me now? Because you said they've got a GPS on them. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. That'd be that would be awesome. Um, yeah, if you could yeah. fire that through, um, now. Yeah, that, I'll just send it to your. You can give me oh, my I'll email. It, yeah, to yeah. that email. Yeah, it's just brevitystudiosnz at gmail dot com. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, send me sure. through anything you can. It's most appreciated. Yeah. Awesome. Will do. Okay, cool, man. I'll um, I'll keep in touch with you on email or messenger. Yeah. Beauty. Sounds good. Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks good luck. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, cheers, bro. After this call, I was buzzing with the possibilities. Could this make perfect sense? Heidi was constantly listening to cassette tapes and was even receiving them from home during their trip. While their main tramping packs were taken and pawned by Tamahedi, Two other packs have never been found. Could this be one of these packs? Has it survived all these years? I knew within a few minutes of seeing a photo of the pack and the tapes, I'd know if it was connected. So I sat and waited for Ben's email. Refresh. Click. Refresh. Nothing. So I followed up with a Facebook message. Hey mate, sorry, but I'm eagerly waiting to see these photos. Nothing. Seen, but nothing. Ghosted. Then a couple days later, a message from a completely separate witness I was speaking to about this case. Hey man, this guy Ben is messaging me. Do you know him? It turned out Ben had decided he was going to run his own investigation and not share the photos or the location. Further follow-up texts, calls and messages received no reply. So I had to just let this sit. But I knew that before this case concluded, I had to at least try and find it. So using the very rough description of the area, I set off to spend what would be hours searching that thick bush. 
for something that could have been explained in a few seconds with a photo. Yeah, I don't know. There's some... I don't know what this guy's deal is, but... You know, I'm going to have to go and try and find this pack myself. I have a, a rough idea of where it is. But it's going to require a bit of effort. Now I'm hoping that he hasn't gone and moved the pack. So now I'm driving along the road into the area that I think this item is. It's a pretty thick bush. So I'm going to go and see if we can find it. This guy did say that he had told police about this pack and that they uh, they had shown some interest but hadn't been in touch with him for a year or anything so he didn't know what was if you know it's quite possible that this could be gone the police might have already got to it I don't know It's a pretty remote bush here. Now I think I'm in the right spot, but I don't know. This is just... This is just a total bit of a needle in a haystack situation here. Hopefully my car doesn't get robbed. Just reading my notes, it said cassette tapes, tramping pack towards, Fong Matar. Okay, I think I know the rough location. I shouldn't really bring all this gear up here with me. Someone's probably gonna fucking rob my car. Bottom. Just going to follow areas where it looks like it kind of may have run down. You know, if you threw a pack out the window of a moving car and then it's run down. That's what I'm looking for here. New Zealand native bush. Oh fuck, what is that? Shit. Oh, without realizing I'm miles away from the road. Far out, there's a beautiful shot right now. Okay, I'm going to climb back up here. It just gives you an idea of how thick and rem this native bush is because I, I was only a meter away from the road just before, and just like that, without even realizing it, now I'm 40 meters from the road. 
because this bush is so thick that you genuinely just can't, you lose your bearings so quickly. Right, we're going to climb back up. This would have been a lot easier if this guy just told me where this thing was instead of being a weirdo. We are going to leave me scrambling through the bush for the moment and turn our attention to what I believe could be the most important yet overlooked piece of evidence in this case. The sighting of a white Subaru station wagon parked only 100 metres from the location Urban's body would eventually be discovered. Before we discuss this in more detail, I want to remind you of exactly where Urban's body was found. This was not a public road. It was a rough, private forestry road. To access the body's location, a person must drive through a river crossing about one foot deep, pass a locked gate, and drive two kilometres up a winding dirt road through the forest. This is not a location a person just stumbles into. Eventually near the end of the road, a grassy glade appears. And it's across this glade, and only a few metres into the native bush, that Urban's body was discovered. And parked on that forest road, only about 100 metres from where the body was discovered, a man would tell police that he saw the white Subaru. His last name might sound familiar because this man was in fact Barry Lindsay's son, Darren Lindsay, otherwise known as the Parakawai Kid. If you'll recall, Barry Lindsay and his wife Heather owned about a thousand acres of farm in the Parakawai area in 1989. And during this time, Barry and his son Darren, who was in his mid-teens, were not seeing eye to eye. And sadly, he had taken to living in a small hut he had erected in the Parakawai bush. He had no power, no running water, but he made this place his home. And hence he earned the nickname, the Parakawai Kid. After the discovery of Urban Hogland's body in October of 1991, Darren came forward to police and reported his sighting of seeing the white Subaru in the same location in April of 1989. Surely, this could be no coincidence. He told police it was parked on the right-hand side of the track and was slightly off the track on the verge, facing uphill. He said there was a backpack with red piping on the back seat and a camera that was dark in colour, but that's about all he could remember. The problem with Darren's sighting was the timing. Remember, he was recalling this sighting from two and a half years earlier. He told police he thought it was a Monday, two weeks after an important day on the calendar. The weekend Heidi and Urban disappeared was April 8th and 9th, two weeks after Easter. So theoretically, this could place the sighting of the car bang on the right time. However, police more or less discounted Darren's sighting 
due to the fact the forestry foreman in charge of looking after this forest, Lyle Bowen, checked back in his diary and noted that he came across a large tree that had fallen across the forest track at the end of May 1989. The tree was in such a way that a vehicle could not have accessed the location of Urban's body. Lyle stated that in his experience, it looked as though the tree had been lying there for around three months, due to the deterioration of the bark and sap stains. So this would in theory mean that unless there was a different access point, Darren's sighting wouldn't have been possible. So how can this be explained? If the car couldn't have accessed the location, then why did Darren say he saw it there? Why would he lie? Could Lyle have been mistaken on his estimated time frame the tree had been over the track? Could the tree have fallen shortly after Darren saw the car and had been lying only two months instead of three? To me, this sighting jumped out. There must be something to this. I spoke to many people from the area that knew Darren and they all confirmed the story that he did see the car up there that day. But they added an important and as yet unknown detail. That he didn't just see the car that day. That he stole items from it. If true, this could have massive ramifications. Not because it implicates Darren in anything, but simply because it helps determine a timeline. When the car was seen parked on Sunday, April 9th at Tararu Creek Road, the witnesses described being surprised that so much gear was left inside the car. They specifically mentioned sleeping bags and packs. Tamahedi never describes finding sleeping bags when he says he stole the car. So if Darren had in fact stolen items, like say the sleeping bags, out of the car, this would mean the car had to have been moved from Tararu Creek Road on Sunday when it was seen with the sleeping bags and the packs to Parakawai for Darren to steal them and then back to Tararu Creek Road on Monday the 10th of April for Tamahedi to steal it without the sleeping bags and packs. Or perhaps the car never did return to Tararu Creek Road for Tamahedi to steal it. The implications of whether Darren did in fact steal gear out of the car are huge. And it seems that the best way to find the answer is to go direct to the source. By all accounts, Darren has lived a bit of a tough life. He's been described by Barry as the best fencer he's ever seen, but said that they've had their differences. Today, Darren likes to keep a very low profile, but I managed to get his number and reach out to him by text, and he agrees to speak with me. Could he possibly, unknowingly, hold the key to this case? And will he trust me enough to tell me the truth? Hello? Hey, Darren, how are you? Good, good. Yeah. Hey, yeah, thanks for having a chat. Yeah. Um, how, how long have you got? Like a few minutes? Oh, I'm only sort of um, just in town to do my shopping and that. 
Oh, yeah. The weather here is really shit. Oh, is it? Yeah, I was just over in um, in Wonga yesterday and it was pretty rubbish. Yeah, yeah, it's worse today. So, oh, yeah, because okay. uh, I only live in a small cabin and um, I've just been sent in to do a shopping and that. Like, oh, um, oh, yeah. Sometimes you can ring in and out of here. It just depends where the satellite is. It's, oh, um, yeah. Yeah, oh, I was yeah. going to say, I was just going to ask you, who are you working for? Are you working for the, the Swedish people or for the Tamahiris? So I don't work for anyone. So I, I'm okay. just, yeah, I'm an independent, independent guy. So I don't work for anyone in particular. I oh, just, okay. I yeah. just, I just started that. So I investigate cases. That's sort of what I do, um, and I've worked on oh, okay. a few cases over the yep. last couple of years, and. This one, oh, yeah. this one was just interesting to me because Heidi was never found, and I thought, you know, I wonder yeah. if I could go back through the whole case and see they must have yeah. missed something. And um, I, I think um, the best, I, I probably can't really help you too much because you know what I seen was just the vehicle up up there. They're obvious up there, up, obviously up there. Take they were led up there to take photographs. That's all I could tell, you know, because their camera equipment was in the back of a car. But I, uh, I do know a woman from Waihe. Her name's Linda Nullen. Yeah, I spoke to Linda. Yeah, um, I definitely think she's the last person to see that girl alive. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I actually, I actually think uh, because it was a mobile crime, you know, because their car was being used. Mm. I think he was just basically uh, whatever transpired started up there. He obviously panicked, you know, because he had to dis- try to dispose of Urban Hoglund's body in a pretty rushed kind of a manner. Mm. And then he ran into people over in Wentworth Valley, like, because he took, because you could walk straight down over the ridge from where the car was hidden, or where the car was parked. Yeah. Basically, it's only 15 minutes or, and you're on the Wentworth Valley walking track. Yeah. And I believe, um, some people come forward and the police told them to bugger off, you know, because they're concentrating over in tents. Yeah. yeah. And I think, if, if basically, I come across the car probably just after that guy had been killed. And I think uh, that guy was panicking and, oh, oh, hooey, you know, back then it was, uh, people used to camp, camp, you know, down at McGregor's farm, down Ohui Beach, and it was quite, you know, not many people used to use it. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, yeah. There's... I'd say probably best chance is whatever London Mullen can recall. What, what I'm yeah. trying to do is go back and say, okay, what are the things that, that I know or that we know? And I know that yeah. um, that their car was definitely seen on the Sunday at Tararu Road End. And at that time, when it was seen there, it had all the stuff in it. You know, they had yeah. a whole bunch of stuff in it. There's one thing that, that I've heard, or that, that, you know, and, you know, you can tell me this if, if it's true, but when you went up and saw that car, did you take some stuff out of it? No. Because that no. would, okay, because that would be massive. No, because, um, no, the police already uh, hassled me over that, and I've been interviewed. That's why I was angry the first time I got contacted about this, because um, okay. I got interviewed by Dal Reed, like, years later. Because somebody had fucking made all this crap up, so um, yeah. Um, oh, so, so you would yeah. swear, hand on heart, you never took anything out of there. I never took anything out of the car, so yeah. Oh, okay. Because, nah. because it's not the that... camera equipment was on the back seat. It was sitting there, like somebody. The keys were in the ignition. Oh, the keys were in it. 
the keys are in the car. Yeah. I yeah. think I was being watched. Yeah. Because I... Because, you yeah. know, the only thing I thought, and I couldn't, I couldn't give a shit about if you took stuff out of the car, but it just sort of, if if you had, it would just, it helps place. No, 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 no. I've already, I got interviewed by a boy, but he's retired now. But uh, Dale Reed, he was a detective in Thames at the time. Okay. He come through and interviewed me at, at length about it. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's cool. No, I can't really, I can't really actually help you, help you um too much apart from basically what I seen that day. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you saw the car, oh, I, I, yeah. did, did you sort of like look around and did you yell out or anything? Uh, there were footprints and um, it looks like they'd almost gotten stuck up there, yeah. Oh, was it quite wet at the time? Yeah, there's uh, like, like a lot of tyre tracks and that, like, yeah. Oh, okay. Would, um, yeah, sure. yeah, I mean, it is still super interesting to me, that, that sighting. Uh, w- would I be able to like come and like just have a coffee with you at some time in the next few weeks? Yeah, you have to meet me in town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That'd be cool, yeah. just yeah. as opposed to okay. over the phone. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd rather put a face to the name. Yeah, yeah. totally. Okay, then. Yeah, totally. Okay, okay well... Um, so next time you're in front of my car, just give me a bell and we'll, we'll meet up downtown somewhere. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. buy your lunch or something. Yeah, okay. Okay, hey, I'll hey, see you then. hey, beauty, thanks, Darren. Cheers, mate. All good. Okay, right, see bye-bye. Frustratingly, I never did get that coffee with Darren Lindsay. The next day, he had a sudden change of heart and no longer wanted to meet. Disappointed isn't the right word. But it would have made a lot of sense if Darren had said he did steal the items out of the car. To start with, it would explain where it was. Because there were a lot of things missing. I have the police list of gear known to have been with Heidi and her barn on their trip of New Zealand that was never recovered. And it reads, Note, this list does not include personal clothing and jewellery worn by Heidi and her barn. Missing and never recovered. Two sleeping bags, matching. Sky blue outer, pale blue inner. Orange zips. Two foam mattresses, one grey, one white. A pink standard towel, a white standard towel, a backpack for day use, Solomon and white letters on each side, large letter S on the back, red piping at edges, navy blue, shoulder bag or day pack, navy blue, fishing rod and reel and fly fishing paraphernalia, green material bag or sack for fishing accessories, camera, autofocus pocket style, camera, Panasonic non-removable zoom lens model. Camp stove, compact cooking unit. Includes fry pan pots and handles. Red plastic torch. All of these items were never found. But it doesn't mean I'm not looking. Here's another little runoff area. Some old cans and stuff. Oh, 
pretty good spot really. Today as well, another thing. Today is my first ever Father's Day. If you're not aware, my son is, how old is he? Five months old? And that's been a fun little journey. I think we might go have dinner and something tonight and Oh, it would be a nice day to find this pack. See, here's another one of those cans. Wow, these are old cans, man. This, fuck, like, you know, this could be the spot right here. And how old is that can? That can's got to be fucking 50 years old. I bet Father's Day has held a bit of a, a bit more significance for them since that time. I mean, at least Urban did end up going home, but. Uh, we're gonna find it, we'll find it. much of a needle in a haystack without knowing where it is. Oh, fucking asshole. I spent many hours searching the thick roadside bush for the pack and cassette tapes Ben Pointer told me about and I never found it. So unless Ben decides to pick up the phone I guess the truth of what he found will remain a mystery. So could the items have been stolen out of the car after Tamahiri dumped it? Tamahiri claims he left at least one camera in the car when he dumped it in Auckland, but didn't describe seeing any of the other items when he found the car at the end of Tararu Creek Road. My first thought when I looked at all these items is they would be things that might be taken perhaps for a day trip or a basic overnight excursion. We know the tent was eventually recovered with a slash in the entrance. Is it possible Heidi and Urban parked somewhere in Parakawai and decided to walk somewhere to set up camp for the night when they were set upon? Did they walk up to the glade, set up camp in the hope of seeing a kiwi that they'd been so desperate to find, and at some time during the night they were attacked and Urban was killed? At this point, it still seems a mystery. But those bits of gear had to have gone somewhere. And it seems that much like the tent and the jacket found at Tararu Creek, if I can solve the mystery of the missing gear, then I can probably solve the mystery of this case. And you're going to have the opportunity to hear that conclusion sooner than you might think. Because next week, I'm going to release episodes 12 to 15 
to subscribers. The final chapters. And you're going to hear from the most important witnesses to speak in this case, ever. Who I believe are going to finally expose the truth of what really happened to Heidi Parkinen and Sven Urban Hoglin. The reason for this change in release strategy is because what is going to be said is too important to be drip-fed. I've deemed it necessary that it is available all at the same time. Because the truth is far more important than me and this podcast. And it's time to set it free. If it weren't for all these sandflies and wasps, New Zealand would be the perfect country. Almost, anyway. How is it otherwise on the love front? Have you seen Pinnan? I gather you were going to think about Pinnan when you listened to the songs with Chicago and Chris de Burr. I've heard a really nice song here, but I don't know who's singing it or what the name is. It may be lucky that you can't hear it, because I have a feeling you would think it's a Pinnan song. Now I have to quit writing because Urban is trying to read it. It's better to fold the envelope fast. Heidi. Guilt is a Brevity Studios production. Written, produced and narrated by me, Ryan Wolf. All opinions expressed in this podcast are exactly that. Opinions. And are not a statement of fact by the podcast itself. All persons named are presumed innocent unless proven otherwise in a court of law. Voice acting in this episode, Arna Waddell as Heidi. You'll find further photos and video on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, and I highly recommend you join the discussion with thousands of other Guilt listeners on Facebook at the Guilt Podcast Discussion Group. Guilt is a 100% independent production. We've never received a single dollar in taxpayer funding. You can support us to continue to make great content, plus get ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and early release by becoming a Brevity Plus subscriber on Apple or Acast+. You'll find the details in the show notes of every episode. This podcast was written and edited without the use of AI.